0: All right. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at, at um, our congregation, and uh, so good to be here together this morning. Um, if you're new or, or you've never heard me preach before in person or um, online, I want to let you know I have a stutter. Um, there's an example for you, and it'll kind of come in and out as I go, and just always want to make sure that you um, know what that is. And, and I am shocked when Kristen said earlier, and we were just thinking about three months, and, and I know that's been a, a long time that we've been in this, in this state um, together, and, and we all continue to long for um, being back together and what that will look like to regather and to worship um, as a church family. And I know I don't take it for granted um, anymore. Even if you've ever slept through one of my sermons, I'd rather see you sleeping in person. Um, so um, even though now I don't have to deal with that, I, I, I would long for that day. All right. Um, also, I want to give you a, a heads up where we're, where we're headed in the next couple of um, weeks in our, our times together. So as we're wrapping up Psalm 23 this morning, we're going to move into a time where um, next week we're just going to do a kind of a one-off or a standalone sermon where we look at the one another's. And we're going to spend some time just being shaped as a church on what that looks like, all the things God has called us to in terms of how we relate with one another as a, as a church family. And then we're going to start a series in the Minor Prophets, and we're going to go through that pretty quickly, and it's going to be kind of each week we're going to cover that whole minor prophet, and we're going to go through it in canonical order, um, Just in, we're going to kind of see as far as we can go, um, and, then, and then at some point here we're going to regather all of us as redemption churches, um, or redemption congregations across Arizona will all be in the same thing. So I want to give you a heads up at, um, on that. You can start to read through uh, the minor prophets if, if you like, and, and I'm excited for that time together. But I'm even more excited for what God has for us uh, this morning as we wrap up Psalm 23 together. So let me let me pray for us, okay? Heavenly Father, we come before you as your children. And we um, have learned so much in these last few weeks. And and, um, as we get to walk through a Psalm um, like Psalm 23, that's a, a snapshot, a window into a man who, who followed you, who walked with you through all sorts of different contexts in life, and, and we've gotten to be shaped um, by those words. And, and I pray and expect that, that the same will be true this morning, that by the um, renewing of our minds and the transforming of our hearts, we will grow more and more individually and communally into the likeness of, of Jesus, our, our King, our, our Savior, and it's in his name that, that we pray. Amen. So um, where we get in this morning, I'll just go ahead and read out of Psalm 23, verses 5 and 6 as we kick off our time there together. Again, wrapping up this psalm. And and before I do, I can even give you a second to kind of turn with me there. I'd encourage you. We're going to spend all of our time in Psalm 23 and in that general neighborhood um, this, this morning. But I encourage you that if something that comes out of this COVID season is that we have all learned and poured over and maybe even memorized the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23, that would be really good for all of us, for our homes, for our families, for our hearts, to have those as as kind of key things that we run to, right? Like what we sometimes call meat and potatoes, right? We don't know what we need in the moment. What am I going to do? I know kind of old faithful. I'm going to go to God's word. I'm going to go to Psalm 23. I'm going to go to the Lord's prayer and trust that he will do a work in me through that. Amen? All right, let's dive in here. Verse 5, this is what the author David says. forever. So the language has shifted now, right? Last week, we looked at how it shifted um, to more first-person language, and this week now it shifts from shepherd language to host language. There's a dominant theme throughout all of scripture of God representing himself and portraying himself as both a shepherd and then also as a host. That even in the very last days, in the final days, um, when 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 Jesus comes and restores all thing and we enter into eternity, there's this language that that He will be hosting a massive feast, the, the 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 wedding feast of the the Lamb, okay, who 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 He is, and it's this beautiful picture. So now this language shifts where we look into God um, talking, are uh, being referred to as as a host, and now I, I now. Um, perhaps you and I think of it as though God is like one of our kids that we say, hey, go set the table. And he like puts out the forks and the knives and the spoons, right? And the napkins. And then perhaps some of it's not in order and he doesn't quite do it right up to our standards. Maybe that's what comes to mind when we think of this. But imagine something very different. Um, Imagine a host who has everything prepared. I don't know if you ever get this text like me. You kind of send out the text, hey, thank you for having us over. What can we bring? And it's like, wait for it. And you're hoping you'll get one of these texts. It's like, we got it all covered. We have the whole spread all laid out. We have the drinks. We have the dessert. We can make better of everything than you can bring on your own. I'm quick to admit that. Not my wife, right? She brings some great stuff. But I love when I get that text back. That's the kind of picture here is God is hosting this extravagant feast. And throughout this week, as I've prepared, I've been struck by um, how much I tend to operate out of a poverty mentality. Perhaps as an overcorrection, many of us in the church, the evangelical reformed church, right, as we are, um, we resist what's known as the prosperity gospel, right? And which says, basically, if you put your faith in Jesus, you trust him, life will be easy, just trust more, have more faith. Pray harder, um, maybe give some more, and, you know, call, that, call that, that, that offering plate back one more time and put in your last bit and see what God won't do, right? I, I kind of grew up in a church tradition for a while that did that. And I've noticed, though, how often I, I've, I've, I've actually responded or, or kind of um, returned to more of a poverty mentality, where, where I don't trust and understand that God has such extravagant blessing in store for us, that he is inviting us to a feast where he provides to the full. And I actually heard um, one interview with an NFL player who grew up very core and then became very very wealthy. He's a he's a he's a Hall of Fame player. He's and he was talking about um what what he what what when he realized he was no longer poor. And right and he said, "You know, you would think it's all the cars, the fancy cars, the fancy houses, all that. He said, "When I really realized that I was no longer poor and that I could provide um a life of provision and and even abundance for my family is when we would go out to a Restaurant and you get one of those really fancy lemonades, right? Like strawberry lemonade with you know mint in there, and it's in this fancy cup. And your kid asks, "Can I have another one, right?" Because they're used to going to whatever Peter Piper Pizza, and you're just you know refilling Diet Coke all day or whatever it is. And then you go somewhere else, and they're like, "Well, it'll be another you know three fifty or four fifty, right, for that that fancy drink." And he said, "When it occurred to me that on occasion, I don't want to spoil my kids, but..." He said, when, I, when it occurred to me, I could st- I could tell my kids, yeah, go ahead and get another one. You don't have to wait for, you don't have to wait for um, the next time. You can enjoy that whole drink now with your main course if you drank it all during the appetizers. That's the kind of provision that we see with God. And this language used here of what God does, this host, he says, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, right? That, that fancy lemonade keeps on coming and won't, won't run out. This, this idea. Now, in this time, this language would have only been reserved for priests or kings. Kings got their heads anointed with oil. Oil was sometimes a life savings. Oil was, was so much. You didn't waste oil. All right. If you're having a guest, even a really um, a, a, a close friend over, you're not, you're not anointing their head with oil. And again, a cup that overflows is not something that, especially in this context, people would have gotten really, really used to. And this language here is the household of God, the host welcoming in his people for a feast that won't run out. And what should stick out to us, what stuck out to me this week is that because of sin, the idea that we could be hosted at God's table, that we can have extravagant blessing, uh, head anointed with oil, cup overflowing. No, we should read this and understand that we are actually, we deserve to be not just servants, but outsiders, we, we should be because we have all like sheep gone astray. We have um, each turned to our own way. We have, we, have, we have turned on God. We have, like Joel said earlier in the confession, we said, we don't need what you can provide, God. We don't need your feast. We don't need our identity and our purpose to come from you. I'll have it my way. I'll have um, a hot pocket right? I'll settle for something I can control. I'll settle for something that, will, that, that I know is good for me and ultimately makes me sick, right? It doesn't provide for my needs. And yet, because of God's incredible grace, he says, yeah, you, you deserve that. You deserve to be on the outside looking in. We deserve his judgment and his wrath. What we see here is this picture of God's grace, his generous grace. This word mercy that we'll get to in a moment is like lavish provision, Right, Grace is when you, when, you, when you get something that you don't deserve or you don't get what you do deserve. But mercy, which goes hand in hand with that, is more of the idea of, of lavish provision. Yes, undeserved favor, but, but again, an overflowing cup. And that should, that should strike us as we, as we look at this and that the psalmist went from referring to God in this very personal, protective way as a shepherd to now a host. But look where he does this hosting, you prepare a table before me, where? In the presence of my enemies. Okay, there's this language that we probably get used to, oh, someday far out there, God will provide. It will be this, this idea where we'll all get to, again, experience these things. But the language that the psalmist here uses is one of God providing in the moment, in the present, in the midst of our enemies. And there's this picture that we see all throughout the Bible of God flexing, okay, God revealing his power, his beauty, his glory through his provision for his people, right? Remember, um, this whole psalm would be read all together, right? And we saw that way back in verse three, when he's using, again, kind of second person language, and he's talking about what God does, he said, he leads me in paths of righteousness For his name's sake, everything God does, right? When we say sometimes in prayers, I don't know if you miss this, but we say for your glory and our joy and the good of our neighbor, right? Even we say redemption Tucson exists for Jesus's glory and the good of Tucson. And then found in that is our joy, is our delight. Well, God is preparing a table for you, for me, for his people, in the middle, in the presence of his enemies. He's revealing all that he is, not just one day when it will, when, when as we see in First Corinthians chapter 13, now I see in part, but then I will see clearly. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I also am known. There's this idea that right now, though we still see in part, God is still working and he's doing it in the middle of what we would perceive as brokenness, as enemies, as tragedy, and okay, this is going to blow your minds, all right? Psalm 23 falls right between Psalm 22 and you guessed it, Psalm 24. <laughs> okay, there it is, right? Mind blown. How profound. No, but look with me again. I, I encourage you and I told you we'll stay in this neighborhood. Well, Psalm 22 and 23 and 24 reveal some things about the bigger picture of the story of God, all right? The scripture story of God, which we talk about a lot, and I don't want to just assume that we all know, is that in the beginning, God created, right? He created you and me and us and the world that we're in and every creeping thing, every animal, every flying, you know, bird, every crawling insect, you, you name it, you can conceive of it, God created it. And he did this, again, for our good and for his glory. Let us make man in our image. God wanted to reveal himself in all his glory and all that he has done. And then in Psalm 22, we see the effects of what is referred to as the fall or more accurately, the rebellion, right? Where we said, no, God, we don't want it your way. We want it our way. We don't want your glory. We want our glory. We don't trust that you will meet our good. So we want to meet our good on our own. And we see the results of that on display in Psalm 20:22 20, and we see redemption okay the story of God is creation, rebellion, God's promise, then the fulfillment of God's promise in the redemption of, 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 of all things of sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then we live in this time of the church, and then we look ahead to the final day of restoration where he will, he will restore all things to himself. Well, we see redemption and the effects of sin right here in verse, um, in verse 14 of Psalm 22. I am poured out like water, and all my bo- all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pots herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death for dogs. Encompass me, That's, that language was appropriate because um, Jesus was crucified by, by Gentiles, by Romans who were often referred to even as dogs. So this language there, you'll now get to see this, 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 this clear imagery of what Jesus went through for you and for me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You see the tragic death of Jesus over a thousand years before that event would happen. Right? When Jesus was 33 years old, he experienced these things, right? His hands and feet pierced, his bones exposed. Um, Those who killed him, these, 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 these. These dogs who encompassed him divided his garments, they cast lots and traded up for his, his garments. You see this referred to here. We see the effects of sin. We see, we see the, the, the redemption of Jesus. And then skip ahead to verse or two, chapter 24. where it says this. We'll, we'll look at verse eight. "Who is this king of glory? the Lord?" He is the king of glory. Here we get a picture of that final day of restoration when Jesus will come crashing in. Um, Matthew chapter 24 reveals this picture of Jesus like surfing in on the clouds, coming in and writing in the king of glory revealed. And again, in that final day of restoration, when Jesus, the, the, the bridegroom, when he hosts his bride, you and me and us, his people, his, his church around the table to experience his beautiful feast. He is the king of glory. He has revealed himself, and he will reveal himself one day in full. And right now, as in Psalm 23, it fits between these two. We're in this in-between. We refer to it as the now and not yet. The kingdom of heaven has come crashing in, and good news, right, justice, righteousness, peace, humility, a foretaste of the way things should be, what we get to participate in with caring ministries, what our brothers and sisters at Corazon Ministries, what the the families in our church and, and, and then Redemption Church as a whole who are engaging in the foster care and adoption and kinship Ministry, so many other things that we get to do are pictures of the kingdom that will one day come ushered in in full, where Jesus will be revealed once and for all. And yet, right now, in the presence of enemies, God has prepared a table. He's revealing Himself through you and through me. And, church, let me be clear. Let us be clear as we look at this, as we read this. Who are the enemies? It's not you or me. It's not each other. We're brothers and sisters sitting around the table that God has prepared in the presence of our enemies. And the enemies are not that person or that person or that. It's it's a whole kingdom. Jesus has ushered in and is ushering in his perfect kingdom, his way of life. As he declares in Mark chapter 1, as he, as he, as he unfolds and describes and, and paints a beautiful picture of in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we see what Jesus' kingdom looks like, what James chapter 1 and 2 talk about. We see what the kingdom looks like, and the enemies are any people, systems, ideologies, groups of people that are, that are anti-Christ, that are anti-His kingdom. And, 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 and we get to be something altogether, something holy, a set-apart people. That's what that word holy means. That's who we get to be. Well, will you join me? We're not going to close right now, but just let's continue to pray all the more in this season, in this, in this time that we find ourselves in right uh, we've walked through these five markers of the kingdom these 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 ideas that that pastor and author Timothy Keller talks about right where we would be a people who care about things like 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 the unborn and we care about um about about racial reconciliation and we also um care about care about people who are poor and we also would be a people who who stand firm on God's design of a of a biblical sexual ethic and we would also be a people who are generous and kind and long-suffering toward our our enemies, toward those who disagree with us that as you walk through that list which we've done before and we'll do again at some point like that's mind-blowing church that is counterintuitive that demands an, an explanation who are these people? oh we are the people of the king well who is this king who is this cl- king of glory? oh well he will reveal himself in full one day, but perhaps he's revealing himself right now through us, through his church, gathered around this banquet table, even though it's right now in the presence of enemies. It's in the valley of the shadow of death. And yet, because he is good, we can fear no evil. So we can press in in this time because of his promises toward us. Look at the promises. I love this imagery right here. As we get into verse six, he says, "Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me; shall accompany me all the days of my life." It's like this image. I I am um, heard explain this. Imagine goodness and mercy like bodyguards right, just with you wherever you go, God's goodness and God's mercy are there. Wherever we gather together, when we enter into hard conversations, when we press into the brokenness of the world around us, God's goodness and God's mercy are there, accompanying us, surrounding us, reminding us. And then, church, as I close and we close out this psalm, enter in with me this idea That because we know the final day, that shapes everything about today. He says, right, that goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. How many days? All the days. And then he says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How long? Forever. There's eternal language at work here. Dwelling in the house of the Lord. Though I don't deserve it, though I deserve to be an outsider, though I deserve to be imprisoned because of God's grace, because of Jesus um, fulfilling what was prophesied in Psalm 22, because of Jesus who has promised that he will reveal himself in all his glory. And we see a snapshot of in Psalm 23. Because of him, we get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that shapes how we live through today. Yes, we will be afraid. Yes, when surrounded by enemies and we're seated at the Lord's table, it's not like we just can completely bl- bl- lock it all out and just get in a little bubble and pretend it's all easy. In fact, to help us understand this, let me share a quote um, I read. I actually have the book here. I don't know if you can see this, but it's called Plain Theology for Plain People by um, a theologian, Charles Octavius And the the first 10 years of his life, he was born into slavery. And then he lived the rest of his life growing and learning and writing down this incredible systematic theology, which he calls plain theology for plain people. Um, I must be like an extra plain person because it's thick. All right. It's really good stuff, but it's so shaping. And when he's when he's talking about the final days, the last days, if you will, and how that shapes our life right now, look at what he wrote. He says, we should free ourselves from the terror of death. Every kind of death, right? That we might face, relational, end of life, and any other. In a very striking picture, the author Paul brings the facts concerning death before us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that's where I'll just, to shorten it, right? That's where we hear Paul write, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And then he says this, in this we see the form of some strong stinging creature, the venom of whose sting has been taken away and who is therefore harmless and no longer to be feared. The apostle rejoices that Christ has disabled the monster, leaving him without power, without sting. It is not strange, however... That notwithstanding, we may know that the hornet is weak and stingless. Still, his feeble buzzing makes us afraid. Even though we know he's he's still powerful, right? The, The reality, the presence of death, the reality of brokenness all around us, them sitting in the middle of our enemies incites some element of fear even though it's ultimately been rendered powerless. But he says this, but let us settle it in our heart that Christ is our victory. Church, we've already experienced victory. Though we've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, though we may be looking up ahead at more valleys of shadows of more death, in all kinds of different ways. Though the Lord has prepared a table and we sit around that table right now and we get foretastes of the glorious kingdom of heaven, we are reminded that we are still surrounded by enemies. But we get to know that that day is coming when, though right now we're in the presence of enemies, we will be in the presence of our King. Amen. And in the meantime, we're seated around the table alongside brothers and sisters in Christ. So now as we prepare to go around the Lord's table together, let us now press in, enter in to the glorious promises of God, which we look forward to and get to experience in part together right now. Heavenly Father, we need you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your good news, the good news of Jesus, that that even a thousand years before your birth, Lord Jesus, the details of your death, and then some of the details of your glorious return were written down. Lord, I pray that right now as we respond to you, to your gospel, to your good news, Lord, that we will be shaped, empowered, enlivened, Lord, by your promises, the fulfilled promises of Jesus.